Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Steve. I'm the assistant pastor here. If I haven't met you yet, I'd love to do so after the service. Uh, this is actually going to be our last day in the book of Luke for a little while. We're going to be taking a break next week as we start the season of Advent, and then we'll pick this back up uh, during our season of Lent. So we're going to be taking a break uh, for the rest of the year uh, with this passage this morning. So our gospel reading is from Luke 22. Let me read that for us, and then we'll pray together. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him, before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we are barreling towards a holiday season filled with busyness, uh, filled with, for some of us, joy and anticipation, and for others of us, uh, dread, fear, and stress. Um, I ask that this morning that we would be cut out from the clutter of our lives, that our minds would be fixed upon the picture of Jesus that you have presented for us in your word. I ask this morning that in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would hear the voice of our Savior calling us back to him no matter how far we may have strayed. We ask this in his name. Amen. Imagine with me, if you would, that we are in a country where Christianity is illegal and we're part of an underground church. And we're in the dark and it's quiet and it's cramped. And in the middle of our service, masked men with guns break in and they, you know, they start shouting, right? If, you're, if you want to stay with Jesus, you can stay here and die. If you don't, get out of here. And let's just say that some of us decide to leave and not die. And then after those of us that maybe weren't ready to die have left, the gunmen sit down and they take off their masks and they say, okay, now that the fakers are gone, let's worship. This is a story that youth groups like to tell. And uh, I'm pretty sure I've told it when I was a youth pastor. And we, we kind of like this sort of story because it's, it's really cut and dry. We get a really clear example of who's in and who's out, who is willing to go to death and who's the flake. And then we think to ourselves, this is the whole point of those stories, is to think to ourselves, what would I do? Would I have the guts to stay? Would I have the kind of faith that it takes to stay? And I think that that is a very important question. 
I think it is very important to take faith seriously and to take the claims that we make about Jesus seriously, and yet the story that we're looking at this morning is perhaps pushing us in a direction. It's perhaps telling us that that is maybe the wrong question, and our categories are not so neat. Last week, Brian pointed out that Jesus named one of his disciples, the disciple named Simon. Jesus called him Peter, the rock. And throughout just about all of the gospel accounts, Simon the Rock tends to speak up first. As someone who talks for a living and, and processes verbally, I've just kind of gotten used to the taste of feet in my mouth. I've just learned how to talk around them. Okay, so I identify with, with Peter just sort of blurting out and then having to, you know, fix things later. I, I totally get what's going on with him. And we're going to look, uh, begin this morning by looking at the composite picture that Luke is building for us of Peter until we get to the episode that we have before us this morning. When we're introduced by Luke to Peter in Luke chapter 5, we see a frustrated fisherman who has just worked all night in a stinky boat with nothing to show for it. And the next morning, this strange rabbi just walks up and hops into his boat and turns it into a lectern. And he lectures from Peter's boat for a few hours. I'm sure Peter was quite confused. And after he's done teaching, Jesus says to Peter, put your nets back into the water for a catch. And Peter says, listen, there's nothing out there. But if you insist, you know, obviously you're kind of strange. You just hopped into my boat. I'll I'll go for it. They end up pulling in so many fish that the boat begins to sink. And the first thing that Peter thinks to say is, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus replies, don't worry about it. Let's go fish for people. In the next few chapters, as Peter follows Jesus around, he hears Jesus lay out his kingdom vision in the Beatitudes. He hears Jesus rebuke the religious elite for their failure to understand forgiveness. He watches Jesus command the weather. He sees Jesus cast out demons. When they get to a dead girl's house, Peter is only one of three disciples that Jesus brings in with him to watch him raise a dead girl and bring her back to life. A short while after that, Jesus is with his disciples, and he he asks them, who are the crowds saying that I am? And they start to list off these different options. And then he says, but who do you think that I am? And Peter, of course, blurts right out, you're God's Messiah. And that little account is not as innocuous as we might think, because if Peter is wrong, he could be convicted of blasphemy and perhaps executed. And if he's right, well, as we're going to see, things might get even scarier. A little more than a week after Peter's bold pronouncement that Jesus is God's promised one, he goes up with Jesus, just again, one of three disciples, to a mountaintop for some prayer time, and he there witnesses the transfiguration. And in this episode, the same displays of splendor that were present when Yahweh led his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, those same displays of power are now being displayed in Jesus. And the greatest two prophets in Israel's history appear and talk with Jesus on the mountain. And again, Rocky just starts talking. Oh, it's so great that we're here. Why don't I build some tabernacles for you guys? The response that Peter gets is anything but expected. The cloud of God's glorious and horrifying presence surrounds Peter, surrounds Jesus and Moses and Elijah and the other two disciples, and the voice of God responds to Peter, God himself says, this is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. 
A while later, after Peter has continued to be around Jesus, hearing him discourse and disagree with the religious establishment, he's watching him include outsiders in the gospel pronouncement. He sees Jesus interact with this rich man who walks away from Jesus' tough pronouncement about what sort of failure you have to be to receive grace. You have to give up everything. And Peter is squirming in his seat. He can barely wait to say, guess what? We we gave up everything for you. We've already done that, Jesus. We gave up everything to follow you. And then Peter watches as Jesus enters Jerusalem, hailed as the son of David. He cringes, as Jesus says, inflammatory things to powerful people. And then he sits at the Passover table with Jesus. And he keeps hearing Jesus talk about his own suffering, about a broken body and flowing blood. And as we saw last week, Jesus says to him, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. When you turn back, strengthen your brothers. And Peter says, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus shakes his head. He says, Rocky, I'm telling you, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times tonight. And then Jesus gets arrested. And we're going to look more at that scene uh, next year when we pick back up with Luke's gospel. But we see that Judas comes in and betrays Jesus with a kiss, and Jesus is carted off. And just as Jesus says, this is the hour when darkness reigns. Everything is falling apart. Peter just hours before has said, I will follow you to prison and to death. He doesn't forget that. And so he, he tries to make good on his promise. So he follows Jesus at a distance, but he does follow. He goes all the way to the courtyard of the high priest's house and watches to see what's going to happen. And if looks could kill, Peter's time is up. A servant girl looks hard at Peter and says, this man was with him. And this is when things really disintegrate, and Peter responds, woman, I don't know him. Now, a lot has been made of the fact that that Peter is so scared by a, a girl with absolutely no standing within her own community that it's just almost comical the way he disintegrates. But what I want us to see is that with each denial that Peter makes, he cuts himself further away from Jesus. And this first one is an echo of the ban statements that the the community of Israel would make when someone had blasphemed or disobeyed and was unrepentant, when they had acted in a way as to cut themselves off from God's people, the community would stand before them. Typically, the person's family would stand right in front of them and say, we no longer know you. So Peter isn't just lying and saying that he's not aware of who Jesus is. He is cutting Jesus out of his life entirely. He's effectively throwing in his lot with the establishment and saying, that guy's a blasphemer, let's place him outside the camp. A little while later, a second person comes up and says, aren't you one of them, one of the disciples? Peter says, man, I'm not. And now we see that Peter has not only cut himself away from Jesus, but he's cut himself away from Jesus' followers. He's removing himself from the association completely. An hour later, another man says, surely this guy was with him. He's from Galilee, after all. Peter responds, I don't even know what you're talking about. And in feigning ignorance, Peter is now cutting himself off from his own identity that he had been given all these years of following Jesus. From that very first encounter with Jesus in Galilee, Peter is saying, I don't know anything about that. 
all the things that he saw and heard, everything that he became in his interactions with Jesus, he's saying, I don't know. I don't know. So much for going to prison and death. And then the rooster crows. And Luke tells us that the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. If looks could kill. Luke here is doing something more than just setting up for us an emotional moment, though it is very much that. Because the translation says that, that Jesus looked knowingly at Peter. But what, what Luke is doing for us when he says that the Lord looked at Peter is he's reminding us that Jesus is a prophet, that he is the prophet, the prophet that Moses had promised would one day visit Israel. And he can prophesy with absolute certainty and specificity. He, he can say, you're going to do something the number of times you're going to do it and when you're going to do it by. And then Luke says that Peter remembered the word of the Lord. And what Luke is trying to get his readers to do is to realize that Jesus is the God of the Old Testament, the God of Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham, the God of David, the God over all things, the one who speaks and then it comes to pass. None of this, of course, would have made things any easier on Peter. And so he goes outside of the courtyard and weeps bitterly. So I think the question that we have to ask ourselves is, what happens when faith fails? It would be rather depressing for us to leave Peter sobbing as darkness reigns for a couple of months. So we're going to skip ahead in some parts of this story and tie off some loose ends before we get to them uh, next year. But I think one of the questions that has um, kind of plagued me a little bit this week is really what makes the difference between Judas and Peter? We like to keep Judas in his own little category, but I don't think Scripture really gives us that option. Scripture does not present to us the, the first disciples as Judas the failure and then everybody else who overcame trouble and was great the whole time. Peter and Judas both fail. They both choose expediency over conviction. And they both heard Jesus say, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father. And then they both deny Jesus. They both experience a deep lack of faith, a break from everything that they had heard and seen. I mean, let's face it. If you truly believe that Jesus is God and you see him sitting one room over, right through the window, what could anyone say to you that would make you lose your nerve? If you truly believed that he is the God of the universe with all power at his fingertips, you would literally have to stop believing that he is who he claims he is in order to deny him. But the fact is we all do this. We all deny him at one time or another. Some of us straight up just have a hard time believing that Jesus is God, just, just on a theoretical level. It's hard to believe for some of us that God would become human, that he would reveal himself in such a humble way. But others of us deny him in our political discussions. We get so convinced and wrapped up in the idea that one person or one party so clearly represents God's way in the world that we vilify the other side. And so we're either elated or angry and depressed on November 7th, as if the God of the universe could get squashed down into some faction of national politics. Some of us maybe avoid politics, but we still deny Jesus in our family life. We believe that he led through service, suffering, and humility, but then we deny all of that when we rule over our spouse or our children with fear and guilt and shame. 
We deny him in our business life. We, we say that we believe that he'll provide for us, that we believe that his critique of money is accurate, that there are more important things than success. But when we come down to getting a raise or climbing the corporate ladder or ensuring our own safety in our minds, we will throw all of that out in order to just scrape out a few more dollars. I think perhaps the worst, most insidious way that we deny Jesus is in our religious life. We know that he told us that the world would know us as his disciples by our love for one another. But when we disagree, love gets thrown out the window and accuracy trumps everything. Mutual submission is nowhere to be found. Some of you may have walked away from the church decades ago and you're just now wondering if you can find your way back. Others of you may be getting ready to walk away and you're worried that you'll never return. So what happens? What happens when faith fails? What happens after you have betrayed or denied Jesus? Well, Matthew tells us that when Judas saw the result of his betrayal, when he saw clearly what was going to happen to Jesus, he was seized with remorse and he threw away his blood money and then he killed himself. When Peter feels the eyes of Jesus on him and he sees the devastating denial that he has committed, he is filled with remorse and he weeps bitterly. A few weeks after Jesus is dead and resurrected and gone away, Judas has committed suicide and Peter becomes the first leader of the church, the world's first pope. How does that happen? How does a guy go from cutting himself off from the leader of a movement to being handed the keys by that very same leader of that very same movement? Friends, we have to see that we are not dealing with an ordinary king. Peter was not dealing with an ordinary king. The world deals with treason unflinchingly. It meets out justice, death, and banishment. But Jesus' kingdom is something entirely different because in Jesus' kingdom, the king himself has taken on death and banishment, the punishment for our betrayal of him. And what we learn from Peter's failure is that in the church, we don't shoot our wounded. We don't cut off the failures in our midst. We don't ostracize the traitors or spit on the deniers. Because if we did that, there would be no one left. There would be no church if there were no failures allowed in. Friends, it takes faith to not leave in the first place when you're faced with the choice of Jesus or death, but it takes a tiny, shaky, but absolute trust to come back to a king, the very king that we've betrayed, and say, I've got nowhere else to go. So what is the difference between Judas and Peter? It's what's at the, the foundation of their identity. Is it their biggest failure or the forgiveness of that biggest failure? What's at the core of your identity? Is it your greatest failure, your struggle to believe, or is it the pervasive forgiveness of Jesus? Friends, what is stronger, the failure of your faith or the love and mercy of the God of the entire universe who has not held anything back from you? Friends, if our rhetoric 
if the actions of our community leave people on the fringes feeling as if their failure outruns Jesus' love, then we have failed to maintain the gospel. We have failed in being a gospel community. Ryan said last week, failure is the gateway to freedom. And what we believe here at InTown is that we are a community of failures, a community of betrayers and deniers, and Jesus loves us anyway. That's our identity. That's the story that we can share with the world. And so as we come to this table, I want us to do so with the words of Pope Peter the denier ringing in our ears. This is what he said to the early church and what he says to us. The God of all grace, who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, so often we allow our failures to keep us from you. As we see the way that the world works, the way that our families work, the way that we work, when we are betrayed, we react in anger and condemnation, and we fear the same from you. And yet, that is so far from the truth of who you are. I ask this morning that as we come into your table, into your presence, into your mercy, that we would be reminded that your love far outruns our failure, even when it's our faith that is failing. I ask that you would be with us throughout this morning. Amen.